that you can take a hike. Don't mind if I do. It's Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. I don't know why I started doing that voice. I just got so excited. I don't either. I just just like looking at you. Oh, okay. I like you face. I like a you face. I like you face. It's a good face. Thanks. You too. Hey. Hey what? You ever been hiking? (laughs) Tell me all your thoughts on hiking. Um, What do you like? About a hike. Oh, uh, I like to hike when it is cool outside. I like to hike upon my bike. But that's not hiking. That's a bike ride. I know, but I was trying to like get like a Dr. Seuss mm. kind of, I will not hike upon my bike. Okay. I mean, that, I'll go hike if you like. That that works, I guess. Yeah, I can't think yeah. of anything. Uh. Maybe, perhaps we shall catch a pike. Is that anything? No. Okay. <laughs> I, so... It, I am. I think it depends on how you look at it, right? Because this is probably true of a lot of like endurancey, exercisey things, mm-hmm. right? Where for bike, right? Bicycling, for example, there's a difference between like you know an old Spanish, old fashioned like three speed bike, and you're just gently pedaling around your neighborhood, versus those people who have like padded butt pants and like high visibility helmets, and they're out there like biking. You know, like for 30 miles a day, right? And both of them will say, I like to bike. Yes, that's right? true. Good, and, good for them. And I so, say. yes, good for them indeed. <laughs> so, I have done both kinds of hiking. There's many wonderful parks here in Cincinnati. I, I very much enjoy uh, French Park, mm-hmm. has some lovely trails along uh, some, you know, scenic streams, creek beds. Creek beds, indeed. But I have also gone on like a 20 mile long hike once. That like I you know you have to wear like moisture wicking stuff and it lasted like seven hours and everything and you like pack lunch or take it with I've done that too yeah. and guess which one I prefer <laughs> <laughs> I sure do like that forty minute hike where I get to go home quickly every time I think about hiking I remember our honeymoon when we accidentally climbed a mountain yes. in in the Scottish Highlands the Caragorn Mountains yes we were uh, walking through a uh, park and then suddenly we were walking at a slight incline and then pretty soon <laughs> we are at the top. <laughs> not pretty soon. No, not pretty soon. Try like an hour and a half later. But after a while you're halfway up, you know. That is just what keep happened. Going. Get a good view. We were like, well, I guess if we we should just probably just go to the top. But here are some things I liked about that hike. Uh-huh. One, it was October in Scotland. So it was very nice outside yes. in the way of like just a little bit cold. It was, and it was a, a little sprinkly. More than was like a haze of water in the air. Yeah, and I had on a moisture repelling coat. Yes. I did, however, have on my uh, rain boots. Bad shoes. Bad shoes. Not Bad good shoes. for hiking. So yes. my feet did hurt that day. But it was really nice. We got up to the top. We were like, hey, look, we accidentally climbed this little mountain. And there was a, a real, legit cairn mm-hmm. up there. Yep. Um, which I think I touched 
Like, oh, look at that. And it felt like it was about to fall over. This, like, centuries-old cairn, and I felt terrible. Felt absolutely. Uh, cairn, we should mention, for those of you who don't know, cairn. Uh, if you've ever been out on a hike, for example, and you see, like, a little pile of stacked rocks, that is a cairn. But also, if you are somewhere and there's, like, a big pile of rocks where perhaps a body is, and it is, like, a, a ceremonial thing, mm-hmm. that's also a cairn. Yeah. Um, one of them, it's probably okay if you knock over, and the other one isn't. <laughs> I'll let you decide which. I don't think that that was a centuries-old cairn. You don't think so? Let's say decades, probably. Okay. It didn't have a lot of moss on it. I mean, my memory is fuzzy. Uh, fuzzy. How- <laughs> I like how you combine fuzzy and moss. I get it. But it did kind of sound like if this was an episode about Bob Fosse, it would have nailed it. That was an accident. Okay. <laughs> How does one even begin to discuss the history of hiking? Because it kind of feels like (laughs) something that people did out of necessity for a while and one day said, well, I don't need to do that anymore, but I still want to. Okay. Well, I mean, you're right. Hiking is basically just walking, right? Through the Um, woods. And everything used to be woods. Everything used to be woods. Uh, Up until probably the 1800s here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and so, like... Oh, I take it back. Sometimes it's desert. It's desert or it's woods. Desert. It's one of those two. Uh, sometimes it's it's grasslands. I mean, I guess. Sure. Okay, anyway. Okay, so those are the three, though. We can all agree. That we have here in the U.S. There's different ones other places? Marsh. What? Okay, but those are the only four, right? <laughs> grasslands, Tund- marsh, desert. Tundra. What? <laughs> they keep going. Oh, and are boy. you talking about maybe deciduous forest or carnivorous forest? Oh, no. Can, or, or carnivorous forest. No, that's not If it. you had a forest made of all Venus flytraps, <laughs> or like, I think there's some fungus that eat meat, maybe? Break it down? I don't know. Okay. I'm saying, anyway, wouldn't it be terrifying if you found yourself in a carnivorous forest? Yes, it would. Be. Okay, thank you. All right, lions and tigers and bears and also trees that we're eat gonna people. we're gonna talk about hiking for leisure. Of course, not okay. not for like discovery, no, not like or Lewis necessity. and Clark stuff, like yes. you know before cars and stuff, or for survival. Right. That's necessity. I yeah, think. yeah, you know, right. Yes. Uh, so hiking as a leisure activity um, probably started, like I said around the 1800s because of the Industrial Revolution. Mm. People started moving to more urban, you know, environments, things like roads and uh, and town, like city center type deals. So this is probably where they started to feel the like, oh, the smog and so many people and it's so crowded, I, I must journey out into the forest and commune with the nature. With the dryads and Gaia? What? No. No, you probably don't think, not. So You if, don't think that there are people out there in the industrial there's big smokestacks going poof, 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 and they were like, I want to go walk in the woods. I, I suppose. Okay. Okay. Um, I just, I need to be right this one time, please. Please let me have this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. 
So with the Industrial Revolution, you need to build up your cities to support the workers of the factories, and then commercial districts expand. And then so now the modern person's day was structured more around their job and social activities than it was around like farm life, nature's clock, all that kind of stuff. So you didn't really have time to go out and enjoy the outdoors even a little bit, because you were in your factory, you were in your home, you yeah. were making ends meet. And um, the outdoors were farther away. Yes, yeah. exactly. So now it became a luxury activity. Mm. You could take a walk in nature, or nature, but now it took time, which you may or may not have, depending upon how much money you had, um, because you probably, it required effort, certainly, but it also required maybe transportation right. out of the city, which the working class really didn't have and, access and to. And time off. It needed you to be able to right? say, like, I don't need to work today. Exactly. Um, so between 1870, 1900, um, not only were a bunch of, you know, people who used to be agriculturally centered now moving to cities to become industrially centered, uh, there were also about 12 million new immigrants mm. coming over seeking opportunities in the yeah. U.S. Um, and again... This resulted in crowded city centers, uh, poor sanitation, uh, people living very close together created a lot of health issues. And so they were looking to get away right. to that clean nature. This is where the green space and the fresh yeah. air come in. When I uh, when I worked at Best Buy, which I did for a couple of years, I was overwhelmed by humanity and I decided one day I was just going to go spend a weekend by myself camping. Oh, I love this story. And uh, I got out there, and one, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, people at home, it's really boring. <laughs> you get out there, there's not any video games or television or anything. Can you believe it? No Wi-Fi. There's no Wi-Fi. I had, get this, folks, at that time, a Discman, a Discman mm-hmm. to play compact discs upon, and some books. And I was bored. And also, apparently, in the woods at night, it gets really dark. Uh, and I don't know. If Again, you know. no no faint blue light from your computer screen. No. I had, I had flashlights, but I hadn't brought, like, a lantern. Okay. And I had the, the campfire, but the campfire only does about, like, three-foot ring of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if you know this at home, folks, but when it gets dark in the woods, it gets scary. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I think it was – I heard uh, – I rustled outside my tent. I opened my tent. There was a raccoon out there, and I went, ah! you know, waved my arms, my flashlight around to try to scare the raccoon away, and it just stared at me like, uh-huh, yeah, and? <laughs> and then I kind of, like, realized I had no tricks left to play, so I was very scared out there in the woods, so I called my brothers. Of the singular raccoon? Yeah. Well, not just of the one raccoon, but if there's one that's more. So I called my brother, and I said, hey, you know what would be cool? If you guys came and hung out with me and drove the 30 minutes to get here. And then they did, and they hung out with me, and then they left so I could sleep. (laughs) It was very nice of them. Okay. I'm just saying, the woods, uh, take it or leave it for old Travis (laughs) McElroy. And let me be clear, that was not the first time I'd been camping. Just the first and only time I've gone by myself. Right. All right. So around this time is when Central Park... Uh, was starting to be developed. And it was kind of the first experiment, this idea with officials like actually planning a park with community health in mind. Do you know why there's big rocks in Central Park? 
No. Because the person who designed Central Park didn't want it to be able to be used for military exercises. Ah. They wanted it to remain a, a place of peace and uh, where someone could go and relax. And so they made sure the ground was like uneven and broken up so there were no big flat areas where you could like practice troop formations and stuff. At that's least that's what I've know. heard. That's what I've heard, folks. Um, so one of the big planning points of Central Park was it for to make it accessible to all citizens, regardless of social or socioeconomic status. That's what I would say. If you've never been to Central Park, it, like what I'm about to say so like There's bouge. a little bit of space for everybody. Right, right? And like it is weird. It is a weird oasis of nature. Like when you're in the middle of it, you feel like you're in a park. That is something that we can it's really easy to take for granted here in Cincinnati where it's like if you get to the wrong or right part, it's like suddenly you're in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, wasn't I just in Cincinnati? Uh, even in Los Angeles, there's lots of parts like that where it's just like, now you're just in the woods. And that's not true in New York. And so th- there's this huge area of just like, boom, nature, deal with it. And not to say that this was the first planned park no. of, of the world, just that this is a specific example of a park that was planned for a green space in a major city. Right. For people. Um, So this new availability of outdoor space was wonderful news, and people started to really take advantage of it. Um, This is the time that the theory of outdoors business will help make your children more well-behaved and more intelligent and overall all-around better adults. I mean, there is something to be said about I really enjoyed as a kid playing outside. That's not to say that everybody does or that it makes you a better person. No, because I think the flawed logic there, if I may, as an indoor kid, the flawed logic is that there. I'm sure there used to be a time where the best way to learn about the outside was to be in it. But now we live in a time where a lot of folks have already done that stuff and I can learn more about it faster at, say, a computer or a documentary <laughs> or a book, for that matter. But the experience of being there is different eh. than looking at it. Sure. that But different doesn't mean better. That's true. I'm saying, listen, hey, you person at home shaking your head, I see you. I'm looking at you through the camera in your phone. You are mad at me because you're like, but Travis, I want to go outside and I like being outside. That's totally cool. The idea that me being outside is better than me being inside? Not necessarily. Anyway. So, I'm saying I want to live in a pod that does all my exercise for me while I sleep. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this has been a really great TED Talk for you. Thank you very much. But so, not really a TED Talk. More just like a Travis Talk. Okay. One of the biggest... This is our new setup. I can actually touch you while yeah. we're recording. And I did. I put my hand on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I, it is to say... My turn. Yes. <laughs> One of the biggest supporters of this movement was Ernest Thompson Seton, who founded a boys group called the Woodcraft League. It's not a very catchy name. Mm, it'll get catchier. Okay. Uh, was it the Boy Scouts? According to him, the best antidote, antidote to juvenile delinquency was to teach boys skills, lore, and law of, quote, Native Americans. At the time, 1902, uh, he professed to have massive respect for Native Americans for their spiritual character and intimate knowledge of nature, and I'm sure he did his best. 
Uh, but the way that people addressed and talked about um, the indigenous people in 1902 looked way different yeah. than it does, does today. Um, so let's acknowledge the cultural appropriation aspect of the Boy Scouts. Yes, very much so. Uh, but also recognize that there are several good things about the Boy Scouts as well. Sure. Uh, so their manual called the Birch Bark Roll. See, not catchy. See, not catchy. No, uh, need, need some branding work there. Uh, included specific instructions. What about the young manual? Mm. The young manual. Because it's yeah, for young okay. men. You get it? Yeah, I get it. I okay. get it. Um, specific instructions for clothing, rituals, outdoor activities. And despite the cultural act. Uh, appropriation. In 1910, there was more than 200,000 boys enrolled in these Woodcraft League tribes, which would later become troops, thank goodness. Um, And this was especially effective for boys in impoverished inner city areas. Uh, Their group activity could be anything from campouts to growing vegetables to maintaining bird colonies on the rooftop. And of course, hiking. Okay, you know what really sums up my feelings about all this really well? The Pawnee Goddesses episode of Parks and Rec. Where it's, I think for me, is that some kids do respond well to like, I want to go out there and learn how to like forage and like build a fire or whatever. Don't get me wrong. I do like knowing how to build a fire. (laughs) And like, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly like... I make it sound like I'm an indoor kid completely, but I'm a bit of a crafty outdoor kid, a little bit. But some kids don't respond well to that. I would say that your outdoorsness has a, a, a time limit. Yes, thank you very much. That's it's what it's not is. about ability; it's about uh, how much I care about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and some kids respond better to puppy parties and candy. You know what I mean? I'm a puppy party and candy kind of kid at heart. You know, <laughs> it's just this idea. I think it's whenever somebody says, "You know what kids need," and thinks of children as a big hunk of like one thing of like a all, singular mass. Right. That's yeah. just not how it works. And I think that there was a long, long time where, like, for young boys and young girls. This idea of why don't you fit into this mold of it making them like outsiders and feeling ostracized of like, why don't you like playing sports? Why don't you like playing with dolls? Why don't you like, like, I think that's why I bristle against when people are like, kids need to go outside and play. I'm like, not really. Kids need to be happy is what the thing is. Um, Here's a really great quote from this birch bark roll. Um, It says, remember that the value of the hike is in doing things which you cannot do at home. Make sure that as you travel to the point you have selected, that your eyes and ears are open to see the hundreds of interesting things that may be seen along the roadside. If I can put it better, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. (laughs) Anyway, the rampant success of this Woodcraft League gained some attention of someone else you may have heard of. Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, Not... Ah, I thought I had it. (laughs) I really thought I'd nailed it. Sir Robert Baden-Powell, remember? No. He was developing his own program for boys based on his soldier training. Oh, right, 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 yeah. He enthusiastically combined sentence, outdoor ideals with his own curriculum, and lo and behold, in 1906, the Boy Scouts were officially born. Okay. 
Like I said, it was originally a, a British thing, but the popularity made its way to America, and it became the most longstanding outdoor program for boys. Okay. The Girl Scouts, not far behind. Soon after, in 1912, we also discussed this. Juliet Gordon Lowe spent some time with Sir Robert. Returning to Savannah, Georgia, she created the Girl Guides. Much like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts later uh, were quickly embraced, and girls all over the country began to learn skills and have adventures, just like the boys were having. It's almost like everyone can have adventures. Here's their own but quote. Some people's adventures are in books and video games. Here's their own quote from When You Hike in 1930. The Girl Scouts believe heartily in woodcraft, walking, hiking, and all kinds of creative camping and allied activities. It puts the outing in scouting and gives us an understanding of our pioneer heritage and leads on to satisfying and adventurous uh, lifelong recreations. One must begin with the landscape if one is to end with the soul. Okay. I I do like that. Now what I will say, I do think, I do advocate that every child should know how to quickly sharpen a stick in case of vampire attack. (laughs) Obviously. You're evolving your own convictions, right? I mean, I'm just saying, yes, I spent a lot of time sharpening sticks and putting them under my bed in case of vampire attack. Obviously, I did. I, I have nothing against that practice. Now, I know what you're wondering, people at home. Is walking outside only for children? No. I thought you were going to say is walking outside the same thing as hiking. (laughs) In which, if I'm being honest, I was starting to wonder that. (laughs) But it's not just for children. So there are very popular outing groups like walking clubs across the nation or, you know, people just want to gather together to walk through parks in nature and stuff. Um, These sort of things usually popped up after the Civil War. Um, just in in timing. You know, timing has to do a lot with luxury activities. Okay, um, so let's move slightly to the left and talk about more conservation-centric clubs. Okay. Appalachian Mountain Club, Sierra Club, the uh, Mazamas of Portland, Oregon, all started in the later half of the 19th century. Um, and they base their activities on wilderness appreciation and preservation. Okay. Well, I, I like both of those things. They cleared and marked trails. They made path maps. Uh, they made camping shelters for resting or overnight stays. And these are clubs are who we have to thank for our nation's vast network of clearly mapped safe trails. And that is the kind of hiking I like to do. Clearly marked safe hiking, yes. Yes, clearly marked safe trails. I'm not a blazer. I don't want to blaze a trail. Um, I really like that kind of stuff. And this is where Teddy Roosevelt comes in. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, I was worried. You know what? But let's talk about him in a second. First, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? This week... We would like to send a thank you note to Curiosity Stream. We're sponsored in part by Curiosity Stream. It's like Netflix for documentaries, smart television for your smart TV. I think that's great. I, I personally love documentaries. I know Teresa does too. Uh, we love learning about stuff, especially if it's got a little bit of humor to the documentary. Um, we also, you know, love the nature shows. BB does as well. BB is absolutely 
uh, fascinated by like undersea stuff by, as she says, the wonders of the ocean. And they have topics like history, nature, science, food, technology, travel, and more all on Curiosity Stream. They even have exclusive programs featuring David Attenborough, uh, Nick Offerman, Chris Hadfield. It's a wonderful selection, and you can easily stream everything for your TV, phone, tablet, or computer. So go to curiositystream.com slash schmanners or use code schmanners to sign up. Just $14.99 for a whole year. That's less than $15 for a whole year of amazing content. You're not going to beat that. We also want to send a thank you note to Hero. Achieving peace of mind when managing someone else's medication regimen can be a hard task. With Hero, you can rest easy knowing that everything is taken care of. Hero is a medicine cabinet reinvented. The Hero pill dispenser sorts all daily medication and delivers them all with a push of a button. And if medication isn't taken, the Hero app will send notifications to you, a family member, or a caregiver, so a dose is never missed. This is great. I take Lexapro every morning, and sometimes, you know, you get caught up in the hustle and bustle of getting, you know, kids awake and fed and all that stuff, and I forget. And Teresa is usually the one who reminds me, so with this app, you know, it lets Teresa know if I haven't done it yet, and it makes it easier to have someone, you know, there helping you out, or to have yourself helping you out. Both of those things, it's great. Hero even has an optional service that delivers medication directly to your door. So right now, if you go to herohealth.com slash schmanners, you'll get 50% off service initiation and a 30-day risk-free trial with a money-back guarantee. That's herohealth.com slash schmanners to start your membership with 50% off and a 30-day free trial. Don't forget, that's herohealth.com slash schmanners. Uh, I also want to tell you about shiny posts. Who who are they, you ask? Well, let me just go ahead and read their message right here. I have a dream of supporting myself by making art. This is Travis. That's a very good dream. I make cool 3D characters on Instagram under shiny posts, at shiny posts, spelled exactly like it sounds, S-H-I-N-Y-P-O-S-T-S. If you like what I make, please follow me. If you don't, hey. Thanks for looking. I think you're really cool for even giving me a look. That's so nice. I think you should go follow at shiny posts on Instagram, if only because they seem so polite. They even said, look me up on Instagram. I'm at shiny posts, and please follow me if you think my stuff is cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Everybody go follow at shiny posts on Instagram. Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co-host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fan Time. And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other more fabulous co-host. And the reason you really should be tuning in. I feel the nausea rising. To be Fan is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti-feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? Ew, to the nah, to the nah, nah, nah. We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fanti, Maximum Fun, podcast. Ow. Okay, we're back. Tell me about Theodore Reginald Roosevelt VIII. What? Huh? That's not his name. No. It's it's Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy? Ear my guard. <laughs> Ear my guard. 
Roosevelt Johnson. Don't don't do that. It's hyphenated. I'm I mean, not, usually, okay. It's let's just say Teddy Roosevelt. Teddador. Oh my gosh. Roosevelt. So the Industrial Revolution didn't just have damaging effects on public health, but the reason I wanted to talk about conservation is because it also had horrific environmental consequences. Yes, thank God we fixed that now. No. Mm. The use of strip mining and aggressive tactics of large-scale lumber companies left what was once a vast and fertile landscape kind of flat and decimated. The pioneer era was long over at this point, so there was not much, quote, wilderness anymore. Yeah. Um, And there was concern that the beauty of the American wilderness would be completely lost if people didn't do something. Walks in Teddy Roosevelt. Hey, everybody. It's me, Teddy Roosevelt. He was an avid outdoorsman, and he loved nature. Uh, It was during a camping trip in North Dakota that he uh, credits... His life changing forever. He went there to hunt bison, but the beauty of the landscape changed the life of him and his country forever. And that's when he married a bison. No. Fell in love with it. No. I'm not certain that the bison was spared, but um, he was inspired by the gorgeous untouched wilderness, and he launched the nation's first conservation campaign in hopes to preserve America's natural beauty. It led to his probably greatest legacy, the National Park Service. Mm -hmm. I did know that. Bully for you, Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) That's something that he used to say. Yeah, and I think that there was also a book I read when I was a kid called Bully for You, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, okay. Um, So you've probably heard about some of the enormous lands that he protected. Uh, Yosemite, Yellowstone, Jellystone, Crater Lake, Sequoia, and National Glacier Park. Or, sorry, Glacier National Park, excuse me. Um, So, now that everybody was able, I guess, physically to go hiking, there were places. Yes, now that places existed where one might enjoy a hike. Yes, that leisure time comes into effect. Um, So, most Americans didn't really have that leisure time prior to World War I. Um, they were expected to work six days a week with really only Sunday off, and that was where, for the Lord. For the Lord and your family. Um, and at this point, this is when labor reforms come in, and they give us the five day work week. Companies also into in attracting workers uh, offered paid holiday and vac- vacation time, and then after World War II, more technological. Technological innovations led to the mechanization of jobs. And mm-hmm. so now they were less labor intensive and more sedentary. We've talked about this baby boom yeah. after World War II a bunch, right? So now that people have time for vacation, hiking, and general like outdoory times are available. Um, so you have to have a car yes. to get out of your your. I guess now at this point, suburb into some sort of wilderness or planned wilderness. Um, so that has to be kind of a working class family up into the middle class. Mm-hmm. So hiking really started to really take off because you didn't need 
specialized equipment. You just needed good sturdy shoes, yeah. right? And some warm clothes maybe. You didn't need to pay for lodging. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do like tents if you were staying overnight. Sure, sure. Um, so at this time from 1950 to 1955, the visitors to national forests doubled. Wow. So um, the same report that that I just mentioned, the doubling, uh, showed that national forests had increased from over... 634,000 in 1950 to over 1 million in 1955. And at 1964, that number even tripled. Whoa! So it keeps going, keeps going. There's some really great um, other benchmarks in the 20th century. In 1968, the National Trail System Act was passed, calling for better public access. Um Two of the first hiking trails established under the act were the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, which is 2,653 miles Can long. Can I guess the other one? The Appalachian Trail. That's right. Yeah. Although it was technically in use since 1925, the legislation officially protected it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's one of the most famous trails, also, also stretching 2,190 miles has a lot of history and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a ton of books. Like, I think that it's one of the most, I feel like I've read both true stories about the Appalachian Trail and also fancified stories. Oh, yes. Oh, that, I, hey, I love that you said fancified instead of fictional. Fancified is way better. Everybody, <laughs> that's what we're using from now on. <laughs> Uh, one of the the movies, the Fancifications. Is that that one with Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, yeah. Into, isn't that Into the Wild? No, that's a different one. That's the story Into about Into the Woods. I honestly don't know. Is it just called Wilds? <laughs> uh, I I guess so. I remember watching it on a plane. What is that called? I just call it Reese Witherspoon walks through the woods. No, wild. Okay, I was right. Wild is the name of the book that the movie is based on. Mm-hmm. The book is by Cheryl Strayed. Okay. So, um, Reese Witherwoods. Uh, Reese Witherwoods. That was very interesting. I mean, if you've seen that movie, it's good. No, no spoilers. But she hikes a lot. Yeah, a lot of hiking. A lot of hiking. Um, sometimes I would say primarily primarily hiking. hiking. Sometimes the hiking is fun for her, and sometimes it's no. not. And I, that's really true of all hiking. Hey, let's do some questions. Absolutely. Okay. So, first things first. We got a question here. Let's see. This is from Christina. His name is Paul Revere. <laughs> Sorry. So, it just, as soon as we get into questions, <laughs> the shoes just switch. We switch roles. Is that what it is? Other foot now? Okay. I think so. Christina asks, when walking past, that might not even be Narcissus too. When walking past someone, do I say hi, wave, avoid eye contact, and look away entirely, or give a slight nod? I feel like the answer is very based on lateral distance. I go with the slight nod. The hmm, hello. Ah, I've acknowledged your presence. It's very nice to acknowledge another another being's presence. I think that's just fine. Um, in these days of social distancing, no need to stop and say hello. No need to, um, you know, do the, the whole meet and greet kind of thing. Just... Just if you if you happen to meet eyes, 
it's nice to acknowledge. Um, I do want to take this opportunity to talk about right of way. Okay. Um, so make sure you check the signage for the trail you're on and follow the yields correctly. So a few good rules to follow are that hikers coming up the hill have the right of way. So if you're going back down a hill, you can step slightly to the side. I wouldn't advocate going off the trail, but make way for the people going up. Um, Also, livestock and horses have rights on the trail. So step aside for that too. Um, While it's easy for you to get out of the way of an animal, it's not as easy for the animal to get out of your way. So just just remember that. and if you are on a bike on a trail that is not specifically only for biking, it's your responsibility to yield to the hikers. Um, Terry asks tips for hiking with dogs. I will say this. And listen, folks, I am a dog owner, a dog enthusiast, if you will. Um, and I will still tell you, keep your dogs on a leash, especially if you're in a park. Uh, the only way that I would say that this is okay is if you're in some kind of clearing uh, or you're like hiking through the woods where there aren't a lot of other people around. But the thing to keep in mind is I'm sure your dog is a very good dog. All dogs are very good dogs. But that doesn't mean that all dogs respond well to each other. It does not mean that all people respond well to dogs. And so even if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not worried about my dog getting away, if somebody comes a walking up the other side and they have a dog with them that maybe gets stressed when this dog's on a leash and other dogs aren't, or it's someone who doesn't want dogs running up to them, you, you have to think about other people's experiences here, right? So this is why I, Travis McRoy, say keep your dog on a leash if that's the law, if that's the rule. Now, if you're somewhere where the laws are like, yeah, let your dog run around, it's totally fine. Cool, dude. Then you're coming into that knowing that's the case. But if the rule is keep your dog on a leash, keep your dog on a leash. Um, I would also say that I think that it's important to keep try to keep the dog on the trail, on the path, um, because, oh, my gosh, there are so many wonderful smells and maybe like things to put in their mouth and other animals hiding in the brush. Um that it's safer for you and your dog and those animals if they stay on the trail. Um, let's see. This is uh, from, I'm going to say, yeah, from Duncan. Let's talk about what to do when your hiking partner brings a Bluetooth speaker and plays music for the duration of the hike. Now, I'm also going to tie this in with a question from Jack. I have chronic knee slash joint problems. If I go for a hike, how can I make the people I'm with understand and act on the fact that I need to move slower? And the reason I tie these questions together Mm -hmm. is I think both of these have to do with setting expectation when you make plans to go on the hike. Absolutely. Uh, And hiking with a like-minded partner. Right. If uh, To Duncan's question, if you're going, I think saying, hey, do you want to go on a hike with me? One of the things I enjoy about hiking is the peace and quiet, communing with nature. Um, and so, you know, I'm not the type of person who likes, like, uh, you know, playing music while we're hiking. And if they're like, oh, I love playing music. Like, okay, well, then maybe we would not go well together. I would also say, though, to Duncan's point, blasting music through a Bluetooth speaker, 
can be disruptive of other people not in your group. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm walking through the woods thinking about life or whatever, I probably don't want to hear Def Leppard floating over the hillside. Or maybe I do. It depends <laughs> on the mood I'm in. But to Jack's question, I think that that is definitely something like, just so you know, I have chronic, you know, joint pain. So I can only walk up to a certain speed. Um, so like that will be a thing that happens. So there are some parks that have um, rules against loud music. Um, mm-hmm. If you can, if like perfume, if it le- it stays when you can't see the person, it's a little too much, right? Yes, I agree. Um, so be mindful of that. Uh, there is only one exception to the noise pollution type idea is if you're in bear country. Um, it may be advisable to make more noise so that the bears know to stay away. Yes. Except, be careful, bears love death Oh, no. Yeah. Adam asks, let's talk about what to do when Mother Nature calls when you're out visiting her. You know, okay. if, you have to, if you have to go potty. Again, there are usually posted rules about this where, uh, you know, where trails and things are, are found. But... Um, This goes with the leave no trace argument or also pack it in, then pack it out. Um, Anything that comes with you, goes back with you, you wrappers, uh, bottles, things like that. Um, Toilet paper is also advised to come back with you because you don't want to leave little piles of teepee. Um, Urine really doesn't follow with this. Unless you pee in a jug, I guess. Yeah. Or bucket. So I would say that that is available to leave just the water part, not the toilet paper. Yes. Um, and if you do need to do number two, uh, it's if you think that this is a place where you can't possibly wait for, uh, you know, a public restroom, a latrine, a outhouse type deal, uh, it needs to be so many feet off the path, and that's available at wherever you're you're hiking, and it does need to be buried, I believe. Um, so you have to plan for that and maybe bring a trowel, a garden trowel will help. They have uh, folding ones of those too. They, yeah, they golden do. Tr- uh, garden trowel. Um, so just remember, uh, feel free to take pictures or draw where you are. Take your time for that, but don't pick up any like flowers or rocks or anything like that. Um, so you're there to enjoy. Now, does this, the, Ryan asks, is it okay to throw away apple cores and other biodegradable trash into the woods within sight of the trail? Does that apply to that too? Like It does apply to that too. Um, so first of all, I know that it kind of, you know, you think about these kind of biodegradable things, right? right? Especially food. You think that it'll be gone soon, but a lot of these things like banana peels and and orange peels and apple cores, they take a lot longer to decompose than you actually think. Um, And uh, it not only, um, you know, litters the ground still for months, possibly years, uh, it encourages animals to come close to the trails and it influences their behavior of like, well, maybe if I hang out here, I'll get some sweet, sweet food. And a lot of the um, the peels and things that uh, especially fruit peels are not uh, supposed to be there. Right. So maybe there aren't any apple trees in this woods and you leave an apple and 
uh, an apple tree starts growing, now that's an invasive species. Or more than that, man, leave banana peels around animals who aren't used to knowing whether or not to eat banana peels. could make them sick. Absolutely. Absolutely. So pack it in, pack it out, anything that you bring with pack you. Pack it out, pack it in. Let me begin. <laughs> I it. came to win. Battle me. That's a sin. <laughs> Take it back out with you. Yes. So that's going to do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening to, I'm going to say it, another wonderful episode of Shmanis. I sure hope you all enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. Would you like to make a podcast that you're proud of, like I am of Schmanners? Well, then you're going to want to get uh, the Macroid podcasting book that me and Justin and Griffin, with a contributed chapter by uh, Sydney and Teresa and Rachel, uh, we wrote about podcasting called Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. Uh, you can find it or pre-order it, I should say, at McElroyPodcastBook.com. It's going to be out in January. But why wait? Pre-order it now and know that you've got it on lockdown. McElroyPodcastBook.com. Uh, check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. You can also go to McElroy.Family to check out all the McElroy projects there. What else, Teresa? And the McElroy merch. And the McElroy merch. You can go to McElroy.Family there or McElroyMerch.com. So we always thank Brent, Bruntofloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wasso for our Twitter thumbnail art. That is where we got all of these listeners submitted questions on Twitter here, um, at SchmannersCast. Um, and so when we put out the call, we would love for you to tweet us your questions. Also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. Um, that's a place where other fans of Schmanners gather to give and get excellent advice. So please do check that out. Also, if you would like to submit a topic for us, you can email us at schmannerscast at gmail.com. Um, and that's where we get a lot of our lovely fan submissions for topics. Did we thank Alex? Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Alex does uh, a lot of research help for us, and without her, we could not make this show. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.